So we're going to look at Jonah 1 today. You can go ahead and turn to Jonah. So Carissa and I, we've been in Cambodia since September of 2021. So we've been here for about a year and a half. And so before that, we were in we were in China doing ministry for almost 12 years. And so it's definitely been an adjustment being here in Cambodia, but we have, are loving it and glad to meet so many people. Thank you for letting me talk today. I hope it's an encouragement. Uh, it was a blast getting to study it and learn about it uh, before bringing the word today. So if you ever want to preach, even if you don't preach, I would encourage you to go study the word. So then you could have it in you, kind of like hiding it in your heart. And so then it's just, it just makes it so much joyous. So we're going to get started. So the title today is The Unexpected Mercy of God, Jonah 1, 1 through 16. So let's pray real quick before we get started. Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to share and to serve this community here. Thank you that we get to come together um, just without mask on, that we can see each other's faces, that we can just hug each other, do communion together. Lord, I, I pray for the songs that we just sang, Lord, that they really will be the, the anthem of our hearts, Lord, that we want to praise you with all that we are. We want to obey you. We want to seek you in all areas of our life. So thank you for bringing us here to Cambodia, whether we're here for um, just working a secular job or whether we're here as a missionary or whether we're here at working in a school, whatever you might have us doing, Lord, I pray that daily we will come to you in your word and hear from you and do exactly what you want for us to do with each and every day. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Let me pray. Amen. So let's look at Jonah 1.1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. So here we're just, we're just jumping into the story of Jonah. We don't know any background. We don't really know who Jonah is. When was it written? Who was it written to? This is very uncommon. If you look at a couple other verses, look at Haggai 1.1. In the second year, so we know it's the second year, Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So, wow, we have a whole lot of information there. But with Jonah, we don't have anything. So we have to look to some other books in the Bible. Let's look at 2 Kings 14. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Labohamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from gath Hepper. So from this, we know where Jonah's from. He's from gath Hepper, which is very close to Nazareth. We also know it was around 782 BC that this was written. We know it was during the reign of Jeroboam in Israel. And so you have this, you have this prophet. So what else can we know about the background to help us understand a little bit about Jonah? So I would assume that most of us know the story of Jonah. So we had to kind of figure out why would he make that decision? Why would he disobey God? So there's two prophets in Israel, two other prophets during this time. One is in Hosea, 
Hosea 7.3. He prophesies, By their evil they make the king glad, and the princes by their treachery. So do you think this is something that would make the king happy? Speaking evil of the king, saying, hey, you're bad, you're sinning. Hey, it's not a good thing. So there we have Hosea, who's prophesizing bad against the king. Also, we have Amos 7, 8, and 9, and 12 and 13. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, but never again prophesize at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Wow. Okay. So you have two prophets speaking badly about the king and the kingdom. One, they said, leave, never come again. Go away. Okay, so that's what's happening. Then going again to 2 Kings 14, 25 and 27. Talking about um, Jonah here. So during this time, he restored the border of Israel from Le Mohammed as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai. So what is Jonah prophesizing here? That the borders will expand, that good things for the kingdom would happen. Kind of very opposite from the other two prophets. Verse 26, For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So you have two prophets that were sent away. Basically, get away from me. You speak bad to me. So, doesn't want to be a friend. But if you had somebody that was speaking badly of you, or maybe calling you out, maybe showing you all your sins, you probably wouldn't want to live in a close relationship with them. I don't think I would. And so this is kind of like what the prophets are doing here to the king. And the king's saying, go away from me. But then you have Jonah, who prophesizes that the land will increase. So during this time, you had the Assyrian Empire pushing down on Israel. During this time, they were starting to weaken a little bit. So Israel's expanding their borders. So if a kingdom is expanding their borders, is that a good thing for the kingdom or a bad thing? It's a great thing. It's a great. It's what we all want. Hey, do you want an extra 10 bucks in your pocket? Do you want an extra $100? Yes, of course. Do you want another house? Absolutely. So we look at that as a, a good thing. So this is what Jonah, he had the ear of the king. He was speaking good things about the kingdom. When he spoke, the kingdom expanded. So you have the contrast between the two prophets and then Jonah. So now we'll get into our rest of our passage, Jonah 1, 1 through 16. Knowing some of this background, I think we can maybe understand a little bit more now. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, 
and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. tempestuous, Just really bad, really thunderous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it, is, as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Wow, I think most of us have probably heard that story, right? Jonah being thrown into the water, running away from God. So let's dig into it a little bit. If we look back at Jonah 1, 1 and 2, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. So what's God calling him to do? Calling him to get up, go, and go talk to Nineveh, right? So simple enough, right? Just a couple of commands there. So the calling out would be given to a prophet to comfort or warn God's people. This happened over and over again. Go comfort my people that are in rebellion or that they're in exile. Hey, there will be a time that you'll come back. It'll be good times. So over and over again, that happened. This is the first time that it happened to a foreign nation, that God's calling his prophet to go to a foreign nation and call out against them. So Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. These people were ruthless. They were the bitter enemies of Israel. Israel wanted no good to come to them. They wanted them to die. They were known for their brutality. They were they were who Israel hoped God would send down fire and just get rid of them. They were nasty horrible people. One king, one Assyrian king bragged, he had won a battle and killed over 3,000 men and captured others. He wrote, many of the captures I burned in the fire. Many I took alive. From from some of them, I cut off their hands at their wrist. Others I cut off their nose or their ears or put out their eyes. I burned their young men and women to death and those who lived were cruelly enslaved. So this is what Israel's thinking. They're thinking this nasty, horrible place that we don't like, that we hate, 
that, that's what's going through Jonah's head right there. And so let's look at a couple places where God tells his, his prophets to go and call out. Let's see if they do it or not. In 1 Kings 17, 8 and 10. Then the word of the Lord came to him, him as Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and he went. He didn't say no, God. He arose and he went. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. So God told him to arise, go, and, and he did it. Let's look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah 13. I wonder what Jeremiah does. Verse 6. And after many days, the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug and took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it. So once again, there's two prophets. God calls them to get up and go, and they do it. They don't say, no, thank you, like Jonah did. So in verse 3, let's look at what Jonah did. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. So God told him to go to Nineveh, and so he decides to go to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So God called Jonah to go and warn Nineveh about the coming destruction. And Jonah said, no. Between chapter two and three, we don't know what Jonah was thinking. We know more about what he's thinking in chapter four, but that's for a couple more. I think that's Jeff's week when he's going to preach, but we don't know what he's thinking, but what we can kind of surmise a little bit what he's thinking. So if he goes to Nineveh, their enemy, let's just say he decides to go. What happens if he crosses over, he crosses over into Syria? What can maybe happen? They can maybe kidnap him. They could kill him, right? All those things could happen. What if he actually makes it to Nineveh? Okay. Once again, they know he's an Israelite. They're probably going to kill him. Probably what's going to happen. So what, if, but what if he goes there and he stands in Nineveh and he proclaims to the king and the people, Hey, repent, repent, turn from your sin. And what happens if they repent and turn from their sin? What do you think his king will think from about him? So in Samaria, in Israel, the king's going to be looking at him and say, you just went and helped our bitter enemy. You helped them to repent from their sins. No, 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 no. That's not what we're doing. We hate those people, remember? And so you have that. And then you have Jonah. What else can, what else can he do? He could do that. Or he could shake his fist in God and say, no, I'm not doing that. And so he arises, he goes, goes down to Joppa, goes down into a boat, and heads off to Tarshish, the complete opposite direction. In a minute, we'll see a map. So Jonah does the exact opposite of what is expected. So that's the first point. And then the map, here you can see how far. So he was in Israel, in Samaria, that dot kind of in the middle on the right. Nineveh, not too far away. Tarshish, was about 12 months, 12 to 18 months away by boat. A long, long way. So the exact opposite direction that God wanted him to go. Okay. But point two, God did not leave Jonah alone. Jonah said no, and he went the other way. But God didn't say, okay, fine, I'll get the next person. No, what did God do? So Jonah 4 and 5. But, 
So when we're reading this passage again, whenever you see a but, it's kind of showing the exact opposite will be expected happens. So when you see a but, oh, something, something's unexpected happened. Something unexpectedly happens. Verse four, but the Lord hurled a great wind, wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone into, down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So what was, what was Jonah using here? He was using a boat to get away from God. Right? He was trying to use it. But what was God using? Let's see here. So the, when it talks about the ship here in, in verse 4, it's talking about the ship almost kind of coming apart from inside itself. It's like something supernatural is coming and trying to break up this boat to stop Jonah from using it to get away. So what also do we see here? We have the mariners. Who are the mariners? They're people that live at sea, the Mediterranean Sea, all the time. They see storms. They see wind. I mean, they know all that stuff, but all of a sudden they know something supernatural is happening. Something crazy is happening. So Jonah's using the boat to get away from God. And so here also, the third time that Jonah has done this going down. So he goes down to Joppa, goes down in the boat, goes away into Tarshish. This is a symbol of him just totally giving up, rather being dead than being in doing what God wants him to do. So the stage is set for Jonah to wake up and to encounter God. Okay. All he wants to do is leave me alone. I want to go somewhere else. No, God, I'm not going to that place. I'm not going there. He'd rather die than go where God wanted him to go. So Jonah 1, 6 and 7. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So the mariners were doing everything they could to not die. Everything they could try to stay alive. Did Jonah care? Jonah didn't care. They were getting everyone to call out to their God. Maybe someone would save them. Maybe this area had a special God. Maybe somebody in the boat had a special God. Some Something that could save us. They, they are... Um, totally at the will of the boat breaking up in the sea. They need supernatural help. So we have the same way that God wanted him to get up and call it to Nineveh. So God told Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh. These mariners were doing the exact same thing. The pagans were telling him that he needs to pray. The the captain is desperate for divine help. Jonah is running from God. And this captain is trying to run to God, saying, God, we need you. Something has to happen here. So they cast lots. Lots are probably like dice, have some numbers on them, have some coloring. And so it fell on Jonah. And I can't imagine what those mariners are thinking. Uh Uh-oh, what did you do? We stay on this boat. We're on this sea all the time. What did you do? Up to this moment, Jonah hasn't said anything. And so we're about to find out what he says, what his first words are. So point number three, acknowledgement of who God is. So in Jonah 8 through 10, verses 8 through 10, then they said to him, the mariners, 
tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Basically 20 questions. Like, who are you? What are you doing? What, what do we need to do with you? And of what people are you? Verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Wow, I can't imagine being on that boat. Point four, God's mercy often comes in unexpected ways. Jonah 1, 11 through 14. Then they said to him, what, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For, you. for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. The pagans are calling out to God, save us, let us not perish, we need your help. The pagans were doing this, Jonah didn't care, he wanted to die, he wanted to die. Who was really showing true fear here? Was it Jonah that was fearing God? That was part of his identity. I'm a Hebrew. I fear God. That's definitely not what he was doing. Definitely not. These sailors knew that Jonah had done something very bad. It wasn't a question like, oh, what have you done? But it was a, what have you done? What have you done? That now we're in this predicament that we're all going to die. What have you done? The storm is not dying down. So Jonah says, pick me up and hurl me into the water. So could Jonah have just jumped into the water and kind of finished it all, right? Why are you trying to kind of bring other people into this um, action with you? You're like, well, I don't, I don't want to kill myself. Maybe somebody else can throw me in the water. Seems like the easy way out there. Maybe Jonah thinks that God wants him dead. Maybe Jonah would rather, he thinks it's better to be dead than to obey God. We'll see, we'll see him talk again like this later in the book. Why is Jonah so against obeying God that death is more desirable? Why? God just said, hey, go this way. Yeah, you might lose your, your seat in society and you might use, lose your voice with the king. But hey, go obey me. And he says, no, thank you. I'm going to go as far as I can away from you. Also here, we see that the mariners want Jonah to live more than Jonah wanted to live. The mariners are trying to row back as fast as they can to get back to the shore so they can drop him off. But it wasn't working. Why, yeah, why didn't he just throw himself overboard? Why was he relying on other people to kind of finish him to die? So in Jonah 15 and 16, so they, the mariners, picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So this is where disobedience leads. 
it leads to death. Jonah walking away from God saying, no, thank you. It leads to death. It leads to death in, in verse 15 and 16. We know in verse 17 is a little bit different, but that's where we are right now. So the judgment of God had been accomplished. The sea is now calm now. And what's the mariner's response? Wow, something big was here. Let's let's honor that. Let's praise that. Let's give um, make vows to that. So who had a personal encounter with the Lord? You had these mariners that more than likely never heard about God have a interaction with God. Say, wow, this God is the God, is the true God. Then you have Jonah saying, yeah, this God is the true God, but I'm not really following after him and going the opposite direction. So Jonah is acting like the anti-missionary, but God still uses him. I pray that we're not the anti-missionary. I pray that we... We wake up each morning or in the afternoon, whenever your time is to read the word, that you read it and that you understand it, you study it, you share it with others, and that the word transforms you and changes you. And so then you go out and you live that life. Um, there was, I heard of a friend one time go to a, a new city, different country from China where we were, and she got there and she's like, the missionaries here don't read their Bible. They don't read it. I don't understand. How can you be a missionary and be on fire for God if you don't read your Bible? So I think it starts there. Reading your Bible, growing in the Word, putting that as number one in your life. And then the hard part is obeying it. You know? Hard part's obeying it. So in application, last few points here that we can take away. God's Word is authoritative. How do we respond to his word? How are we being challenged by it? Are we growing? Or are we living off the faith of our parents? Or maybe our ministry? Or maybe our pastors? Are you truly growing in putting his word as number one in your life and obeying it and growing in it? Or are you living off your parents or your private school education, whatever it might be? Number two, his mercy, God's mercy is relentless. God pursued Jonah. He did everything. He chased him down. He just he didn't just let him disobey and say, forget you. Okay, I'll just do the next person. I'll ask another prophet. No, he chased after Jonah. He chased after him, even though Jonah had wanted nothing to do with him. Point three, we are inclined to rebel against God. Where are you running from, from him today? What, what part of your life are you holding that you're not letting God have all of it? Is it maybe you're not forgiving somebody? Maybe you've um, done something financially that's not that's not right that you need to repent about. Maybe he's asked you to go somewhere and you said, no, I'm going the opposite direction. So where is it in your life that you've rebelled against God? We all sin. It all happens. It comes back to our attitude of asking for forgiveness and coming back in right relationship with God. Point four, let us have a faith in God that fears him deeply. Not be like Jonah that says, I fear God but be like the mariners that actually fear God, that see him experience and say, that is God. Number five, let us remember who we are. We are God's children. Don't let the world define who we are, but rest in knowing and loving the God who loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He knows that we probably don't always obey, that we kind of say, God, no, thank you. I'm doing this right now. Come back in repentance. Come back to him. He loves you. Let's pray. Lord, just thank you for who you are. Thank you for 
your message here in Jonah of you have Jonah running from you. That really doesn't make much sense because he prophesies great things and that he, we, when we read his word here, we see that he has a relationship with you, but yet he turns his back on you. Lord, I pray that in our lives, when we turn our back for you, from you, that we will repent and come back in humility and that that relationship will be restored, Lord. Lord, we know that you seek after us, you desire us. Lord, I pray that we make that desire and that um, decision each day to follow after you, to love you, to be in community with other believers, and to read your word. It is the most important things in our life. Lord, we thank you and we love you. Let me pray. Amen.